We need to shift our focus now to the book of Galatians. And I invite you to turn there. Galatians chapter 4. Our series during these weeks of Advent is Timeless Hope. Timeless Hope. That is something always, it seems, in short supply. Hope. Yet hope is the very thing that our lives are built on as we grow up into Jesus Christ and to experience all that God has provided for us through him. The first week that Pastor Sam introduced this message, we learned that God always knows the right time for things. And as he sent forth his son, it was in a time when the earth was prepared for the king to arrive. The people were in hopeless despair, wondering when the Messiah, the deliverer, the king would come. And when he did, it was God's appointed time and just the right time, we found out. And then in week two, we learned that God sent forth his son, not just at the right time, but in the conditions most necessary for our redemption. He sent forth his son, born of a woman, that emphasized his complete humanity. Oftentimes we may wonder just how human Jesus was. He was 100% human, and he was 100% God. 200% doesn't make sense, but that's the case. And as a full human, he experienced all that we in our day-to-day lives experience. All of the pain, the suffering that we know, but he did so without sin. And therein lies our hope that we have a redeemer, a deliverer, who, though he experienced what we did, can rescue us out of the bondage that we ourselves are in. And so today, as we dig into the scripture again, we will see a third theme. And I want you to look now at Galatians chapter four. Galatians chapter four, and follow along, if you will, as I read verses one to seven. Galatians (laughs) four, one to seven. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Join me as I pray for God to guide us in the understanding of this text. Father, we ask for just that, that you would help us as we apply our hearts and attention to this text of scripture. How beautiful the work of our Savior is. How wonderful he is to redeem us and adopt us as your sons. Help us to grasp the depths of that today so that we 
would experience more fully what it means to be the sons of God. In Jesus' name, amen. In this passage, the Apostle Paul is continuing to develop an argument or really a a statement that he's trying to teach to the Galatian church that by this point in the letter, he has already said at least two times. He's bringing up a reality that these believers were living as if they did not have a relationship with God in the present time, as much as they were anchoring their hope in what Jesus had done for them in the past, they were living right now as if that work did not have a present reality and power in their day-to-day experience. And what were they filling up right here in this space post-redemption? Well, it was the hope that they themselves could live in such a way and by their merits prove that they were worthy of what God had done for them in Christ. Knowing they were forgiven, yes, but now what do we do? And into that space, the Apostle Paul preaches and teaches about that sad reality of when Christians live as if they are not the sons of God, living as if they have not been adopted, living as if they are still a castaway orphan to God. But the beauty of this passage is that God sent forth his son to turn slaves into his beloved children. And the encouragement of the timeless hope that you and I need today is that God has done this and it has great relevance for our lives at present. The timeless hope we need is that we have not only been redeemed, if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ and his work, but we have been adopted by God so that sons, or slaves rather, become sons. And that is our focus today. Slaves become sons. I'm sorry that I I didn't have time to throw an outline together up here, so if you're waiting for it to change, please don't. I, I will try to speak carefully so that you can follow along. Years ago, I read a statement by J.I. Packer in his helpful book, Knowing God. Perhaps some of you have read that book. I confess that I have read his chapter on the sons of God more than any other section in that book. And this is what he says. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. That hit me like a big sledgehammer several years ago when I read that. And I thought, well, I get the fact that I've been forgiven because Jesus died on the cross but aren't you making too much out of this adoption thing, J.I. Packer? Yeah, I interact with books. If you don't interact with books, I recommend that you do. It's a good process for learning and to express where you're at. Uh, as, I, as I dug into the scripture and as I examined what it is that Christ has done for me and for all who have come to him, I grew in boldness, even when at times I struggle with the fears 
the despondency, the depression, or anxiety that seems to indicate that I am not an adopted child. Well, it's into those sins and emotions that I have learned to preach the truth of what Christ has done for me, and the timeless hope comes back to me again. So there are three elements of this text that I want us to see this morning, and they're in three statements. If you do want to write them down, here's what they are. Statement one is this. We were slaves. We were slaves. Statement two is this. But we have become sons. The emphasis there is on become. We have become sons. And the third statement is this. Now we are sons. All right, so I want to explain where the scripture gives emphasis to those three points today, and I invite you to look back at chapter four, verse one. Paul is picking up with somewhat of a complicated progression of thought, and you can get into the complicated progressions of thought quite easily with the apostle Paul's writing. And he can talk about things that you may not be that familiar with. And in this case, he's talking about some things that have happened ages ago, and the life of the Israelite people, and that we, most of us here Gentiles today, really don't understand oftentimes as the heritage that God has supplied for us. So Paul is stating that ages ago, God made a promise to Abraham. Abraham was the father of the Jewish nation, and God made a promise to Abraham. What he said was, there is an offspring that I am sending to you who will bless the nations of the world. In him, all the world will be blessed. That was a great hope that Abraham had, but it seemed like he would never get it until God sent him a promised son who became the father of a line of people and that line eventually led to Jesus. But Paul also says that after God made that promise, God also spoke to Moses about 400 and some years later and said to Moses, Moses, here is a law that I want you to give to my beloved people. Some people misunderstood that law from God to be the replacement of his promise. God promised that he would show good to the people of all the world through the offspring of Abraham, who would be Jesus. But some people believed that when God gave the law, God was at that point saying, okay, my promise had its day, but now my requirement for you is that in order to inherit the good life, the eternal life, the fellowship with me, you need to obey this law. But what happened when people tried to do that? They were understandably crushed. Living in such a way that we have to obey any law perfectly, you will find quickly that you are crushed yourself. Try to make up some standards for yourself. I, I heard somebody say one time that if you put a tape recorder on your, well, really in your pocket, just say you got your iPhone, you pressed record, you just left it running for a week, provided you had enough memory on your phone, what would it pick up from you and what you say to others? Just starting with your kids, what are you saying to them? What standards are you giving them? Could you live up to those standards yourself perfectly? What might you be thinking in your mind or even verbalizing to other people in your employee who you work with or 
you are the boss of, can you live up to those standards perfectly? Well, how much less so when we are under the law of God? And what scripture points out is that the promise of God never changed. The law was given to God's people in order to reveal something about them and about who their God was. The slavery that Paul talks about here in chapter four, verse one, is that there was a time when God's people under that law realized that they were condemned. And he phrases it this way in kind of an interesting expression. He says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. This is the background to the text Pastor Sam has been preaching over the past few weeks when he got to the point that says, at the right time, God sent forth his son. Well, what was that right time? What was going on in the right now into which God sent his son? Well, it was this sad reality that we were slaves. God's people in the past were slaves, and we know that we in our own experience were slaves until the deliverer came and did something to deliver us from that slavery. For the people of Israel, in verses one to three, Paul is saying that it was as if they were in a household that belonged to God. And God had set over them a guardian, which we learned from the previous context was his law. That guardian was to help them grow up into an understanding of who they were. When they were encountered by the holy character of God, what could they do but respond with a recognition? I am not holy. I have not obeyed these commands. And I have not represented you by my character. Within that law, God gave them sacrifices to offer. Why was that? Because the law revealed their sin. And they understood that they had no choice but to respond to God with the sacrifices that he said were acceptable to him. And over time, Israel experienced cycles of religious apostasy where they would run after any idol they could because those idols were tangible and they could put their hands on them and they understood them better than they could understand their God. Or they turned to the side of religious bigotry and superiority, making laws to even protect the laws of God so that they couldn't even get close enough to experience the true God, but micromanage everyone else around them. This was the story of God's people in and out of captivity, in and out of the oversight of God in Israel. And ultimately, by the time Jesus came, this is what their expectation was. Just like we read and heard read this morning in Isaiah chapter 40. As Isaiah spoke to Israel, he said, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her, that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. This was the Lord's declaration 
that although his people had abandoned him and had not fulfilled what God had required of them under the law, he had not abandoned his promise to them. And their hope and their expectation for a Messiah, Jesus, was coming. And in this text in Galatians 4, we see that Jesus Christ has come. So what about us that are on the level and on the place after the cross? Jesus has come. We are not in exactly like the Israel that we read about in the Old Testament, but our experience would lead to us really knowing some of what they experienced too. We too start out as slaves to legalism and to superstition. All our lives long, we find out that we are trapped in the expectations of what we can achieve to make something of our lives. And it seems that the harder we try, the harder we push to make something of ourselves, the more crushing the experience for us. We can compare ourselves to other people, and sometimes we're better than they are. But oftentimes, and really it's true, there are other people better than us still. So at best, we can just make our standards a little lower, and hopefully we can do better than that. But God's standards do not change throughout time. We too were under the condemnation of his law to do what he said and to live as he expected. And so the only conclusion we can draw is that as slaves, we were condemned never to experience the relationship with God, never to experience the promise that God had held out to his people. But the joy is, in verse four, that God sent his son. Before we get there, we need to meditate a little bit on what that means that we were slaves. When Jake Bishop preached here a few weeks ago, he gave an illustration about a Christmas gift, actually two Christmas gifts that you could receive. If you were here, you might recall, he said, imagine you're sitting down, you have a gift exchange with some of your friends and you get a gift and the first gift is and if you recall, you open it up and it's a dieting book. And so you set that aside and you open up the next gift. And again, Jake made this funnier than me. But you open it up and it said, overcoming selfishness. And if you say thank you for that, he, he helped us understand that you are in a sense admitting that you are fat and selfish, right? So... If that's what your friends are saying, and if you say thank you for it, if it's true of you, then you admit it, but that's humbling. <laughs> my, my son heard that out in the audience that day in the congregation, and he said, he looked up at me, he's only six, and he said, Dad, I don't want a book for Christmas. <laughs> I love that, he, he missed totally what that, the point of it was. <laughs> he just knew he didn't want a book, but that's how we are too. See, we want the good stuff, but we don't want to focus on what it is that we need. God gives us what we need. And then he goes above and beyond that to give us beyond what we need because of how good he is. But before we pass over into we have become sons, we have to admit humbly we were slaves. We cared nothing for God. We did not worship him 
but we worshiped ourselves. But point two is this, but we became sons. And this is the point of verses one to five in Galatians chapter four. And this is the beauty of what we read there. Look at verse four again. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Although we were slaves and trapped under the condemnation of our own making, God did a remarkable thing to deliver us, an amazing, confounding thing to our human comprehension. How did he deliver us? Well, a whole of our, of our salvation is evidenced by two things in this text, one we've heard about and one we're exploring more fully today. The first is by redemption. We became sons by redemption. And this is what Pastor Sam talked about last week. What is redemption? Well, it is the act of buying back a slave off of the slave market. I mean, what, what hope does a slave have when he or she is standing up on the blocks and people are bidding for him or her? Our only hope is that by some means we can escape a terrible life and end up with a master who cares for us. But the master who was there was the law saying worthless, condemned, and and rightly so. And into that market, Jesus came and he said, not worthless, no longer condemned. How could he utter such a thing that flies in the face of what we understand by our experience and by the truth of God's revealed word. It's because Jesus himself became a curse for us. By dying on the cross, he paid the payment for all of our sins. And by rising from the dead, he proved that the condemnation of the curse of the law that he took on himself could not keep down the Lord of all of life. And in his resurrected glory, he proves that sin has no dominion over him or over any of the people who would come to him in faith, believing that this is so. A question for you today, have you been redeemed? And this is what the people in Galatia understood as well. And they would have said, We have been justified. They they would understand that to mean God has declared us to not be worthless and to no longer be condemned. That alone would be wonderful news. If you could hear from God Almighty, you are not condemned. You are not worthless. And your sins, which are many, have been completely put under the blood of my son's cross and I will never look at them again. That would be wonderful news. But what hope would I have that in the now, it would continue to be good news because I'm still going to sin. Have you sinned this week? You have, yes. Have you sinned this morning? Probably so. Have you sinned while you're listening to this sermon? I'll bet you have. (laughs) So do we have hope in the now? Is there hope for us? The text says a resounding yes. Adoption shows us 
what we're worth to God in the now and who we are in Christ now. The text says, verse five, Jesus came to redeem those who were under the law, that's under the law's condemnation, so that we might receive adoption as sons. In the Roman world, okay, and that's what Paul is writing and speaking into here. Rome still had control over this Greco-Roman world. And people would have understood adoption to be slightly different than what we understand it to be today. In our culture, adoption typically is we're looking for a, a little baby to lovingly bring into our family or a young child to bring into our family. In the ancient Roman world, this adoption that is being spoken of, even in verses one to three, this analogy Paul is using, focuses on those who would be given the title of a son, even though they had no right within the family, they weren't even a part of the family, and they were actually adults. A childless, well-to-do Roman lord or official who wanted to pass on his inheritance could select one of his household slaves. The slaves would, in effect, be managers who he could observe over time and groom from a young age so that by the time they were around 25, he could say to them, you've done well, receive the full status of my son, receive the full inheritance of what I can give you. But I'll tell you, adoption into God's family is even better than that. I'll go to J.I. Packer again. By the time I'm done, I hope you pick up the book Knowing God and read the chapter, Sons of God. This is what he says. God adopts us out of free love, not because our character and record show us worthy to bear his name, but despite the fact that they show the very opposite, we are not fit, I'm sorry, but despite that fact, they show the very opposite. Here's the truth. We are not fit for a place in God's family. The idea of his loving and exalting us sinners as he loves and has exalted the Lord Jesus sounds ludicrous and wild. Yet that and nothing less than that is what our adoption means. Those of us who had done everything to prove we were not worthy to live in the household of God, that we should never sit at God's table with him as our father at the head and us as his beloved children feasting with him and living with him for all eternity. We had proven that we do not deserve to be there. Nevertheless, God in his great love looked upon us and chose out of his great character to send his son and to rescue lost people. And so much is this adoption so wonderful and incomprehensible that I consider how did I deserve to be here in the now with all of the blessings of Christ given to me? How can I be here in this space knowing I will still fail and sin, but being so loved by God that he could not possibly love me anymore because he already loves me with the love that he has for his own beloved son? How can this be? It is grace. It is grace. You know that if you have adopted a child into your family, 
You know, it's a process of helping that child to understand that indeed they are loved. Some of us come into an adopted family with emotions that work themselves out over time and it seems really the only way to, to approach those children is to do so with love after love after love. I say we because I have been adopted. My maternal grandparents adopted me when I was 12 years old. Before that time, I had lived with them from the age of four up until 12. My parents had divorced and were in a, a stage of life that continued that showed they were not able to care for me. And when my father, my birth father, left and did not come back, I had a, a concern that I couldn't quite put into words as a little guy. What will happen to me? Who am I now? So my grandparents, I can remember as I, I confessed my anxiety and much fear and sadness for, for a little guy, they would encourage me again and again how much they loved me. And then ultimately, by the time I was 12, I had proven time and again that I did not deserve to be cared for by a loving family. But what had they done in response to all of my acting out, my sin? They had loved me again and again and again and had brought to me the issue of my inheritance. Most of that inheritance is in the name. My name has not always been Joe Kappel. I used to be Joe Keith. But when I was 12 years old, the judge determined that I would be the son of my maternal grandparents, Robert and Peggy Kappel, and I became Joe Kappel. Now, when that happened, in that space of my life right then, did I fully understand it all? No. But God has used that in my life time and again to reveal to me the beauty of my adoption and the beauty of the adoption of every child of God. If we live as if we are orphans, abandoned, not cared for, and any approach to God just seems to be a God who is aloof and doesn't care about us, that is not the God of the Bible. That is not the God that we worship as Christian people who are adopted into the family of God. Praise be to Jesus Christ who set aside his glory as the only son of God so that he could redeem lost sinners so that they too could receive the full rights of adoption as God's sons. And point three is this, my friends. Now we are sons of God. We are sons of God. And this is where we live in this now. This is what God has done for us. So what should that mean for us? I'm gonna list some benefits that we need to think of, but the benefits will continue next week. This is such a rich topic. It's not one that I can just preach a little bit out. Pastor Sam will pick up next week, particularly emphasizing the unique role of the Holy Spirit more next week. And now he's bound to do that since I said that. So today, I want to leave you and I want you to leave here with the certainty of your sonship to God. First point of application, I've mentioned sonship a lot. This has nothing to do with your gender. Just a little bit earlier in Galatians chapter three, Paul had made this astounding statement. He said, for as many of you, verse 27, 
as we're baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So as we see this, you who are here today, if you are a woman in particular, you have the same rights to all the privileges that Christ enjoys as a man sitting near you or with you today. Men and women, people of different socioeconomic categories, people of different nationalities, on that level, there is no distinction. The gift of sonship belongs to everyone who comes to faith in Christ alone. And God grants that across the board so that all of his children are equally loved. He plays no favorites. An amazing promise. Secondly today, I want you to marvel at the love of God for you as his child and his identity as your father. One more quote from Knowing God. I hope you'll get your own copy, I really do. Here's what Packer says about God's love. God receives us as sons and loves us with the same steadfast affection with which he eternally loves his beloved only begotten. There are no distinctions of affection in the divine family. We are all loved just as fully as Jesus is loved. It is like a fairy story. The reigning monarch adopts waifs and strays to make princes of them. But praise God, it is not a fairy story. It is hard and solid fact founded on the bedrock of free and sovereign grace. This and nothing less than this is what adoption means. That's why the Apostle John would blurt out in 1 John 3, 1, see how amazing it is that we are called the children of God. And so we are. He is amazed by what the Lord Jesus Christ has done to restore our relationship and to place us as full inheriting children within the family of God. And God the Father is not distant, but he was the one who initiated your redemption and your adoption. Some might say that you haven't had a good example of a father in this life and that this analogy may mean nothing to you. Well, just like some of you may have had lousy parents who did not respect each other within their marriage, but maybe you determined you would not be like them. Why did you attempt that? Because you know that there's an ideal, that there is something good to shoot for and to aim for. God does not need to validate his fatherhood because there are bad earthly fathers. He is the one who all of us dads get our name from. And we are called to understand the scriptures, to submit ourselves to what Jesus has done And I would compel you today, if you are here and you have not sought the forgiveness of Jesus Christ for your sins, to reckon with this undeniable fact from scripture, you are not a child of God. God is not your father. And I say this to call you to the recognition of what you must do. My non-Christian friend here today You are just one 
breath from embracing the reality of who God is and who you are. The breath is your repentance and your prayer to God to open your eyes to see the beauty of Jesus Christ and of all God has done for you. Ask him for forgiveness of your sins and redemption and adoption will be yours. And if you trust in Christ today and you are God's beloved child, but you find yourself living in uncertainty and fear, deep sadness, depression, these are often signs that here in the now, you are not living in the full reality of your adoption as sons. I would recommend and urge you to preach the truth to yourself every day. To wake up in the morning and to speak the truth like this, I am God's beloved child. God is my father. And I belong to him. Jesus is my savior and older brother. All the believers around me are my brothers too. And our home is heaven. And today I'm a step closer to there than I was yesterday. To God be the glory, he loves me so. And this is what I believe. My friends, this is timeless hope. One aspect of your Advent devotional this week is that it's designed to reinforce these truths and to help you dig into the scriptures for yourself. That is one means by which you can grow and come to understand more fully what this adoption is about. Let me pray and we will close our services today. Thank you, Father, that you love us. Thank you for what you have revealed in the scripture about our redemption and about our adoption as sons. What a beautiful thing to consider and what an amazing promise for us right now that you love us just as much as you love your only begotten son, Jesus. We marvel at that and thank you. Encourage our hearts with it today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.